Eye on 2020, episode 313. Have 2020 Vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead-up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. What's up, everybody? Ray Eaton here, your host of Ion 2020. Appreciate you joining me for your Thursday edition of Ion 2020, which has basically become a look at 2020 rather than a look at the 2020 election. And uh, that's only because of all the craziness that's been happening lately. And it's, you know, but I'm going to give you guys a libertarian take on the things that are going on in the in America, in the world, uh, kind of like an Eye on the Empire type thing, which is the w- website that I have, Eye on the Empire. I There I take a look at news articles and stuff that I think are relevant with keeping an eye on what the federal government is doing to infringe upon your rights and the rights of people across the world, because I do a lot of foreign policy stuff there as well, so... Anyway, you can go ahead and check that out. But I want to talk about something today. And it's what's been happening with this whole coronavirus thing, right? And I don't know if you guys remember the whole idea about flattening the curve. But I don't think that people understand what that meant originally. Because originally, and I found an article on Vox from March, the beginning of March of this year. When that is when you started hearing all about this whole flatten the curve stuff, right? Everyone was talking about flatten the curve, flatten the curve. You never hear about flatten the curve now. Now you hear about stop spreading the virus, shut down everything so that you could stop the spread. But that's not what they were selling it as originally. And that's what I wanted to talk about a little bit today. Then I had another topic that I want to talk about as well. So if you remember the whole curve thing, right? They're going to make it so that instead of the entire the peak of the pandemic hitting all at one time, let's say in June or July of this year, all of it hitting at one time, you're going to have everyone kind of sit home for two weeks, lock down for two weeks, maybe three weeks. And at that point, it's going to flatten the number of cases during that time. It's going to extend the number of cases over that time. And then that's going to make it so that the hospitals don't get overrun with patients. That was the entire intention, right? And in this Vox article, it even says it. It says, about the number of cases, it says, even if you don't reduce total cases, slowing down the rate of an epidemic can be crucial, wrote Carl Bergstrom, who's a University of Washington biologist. And that's what he was saying. And that was the entire hypothesis of flattening the curve, is that you don't have just a bunch of cases within a two-month period, but maybe you have a bunch of cases over a six-month period, and you get that by flattening the curve, by slowing the spread. And that was the goal. That was the intention. Nobody promised that we wouldn't have any more cases. Nobody promised that somehow, magically, the virus would go away if everybody stopped interacting, that everyone did their social distancing properly, everyone wore their masks and all that stuff. Nobody promised it would go away. They just said it would just take longer for it to play out. But the hospitals wouldn't be overrun. It was all about 
hospital and healthcare system capacity. And that was it. And I remember on the second episode I did about COVID-19, that's what I talked about back in March. I was freaked out the week, the day before I did a show on Monday and I was terrified of the COVID-19. It was like three or 4% death rate at the time. And I was getting nervous and I started, you know, I was uneducated. I didn't understand what was going on. But then all of a sudden I started looking at it on Tuesday and Wednesday and on Thursday I put out that show about, it's a capacity issue. And that's what, that's what I determined. So I'm looking at the, I'm looking at it, the whole flatten the curve thing. And I was like, this is a capacity issue. We have only so many ICU beds available. We only have so many hospital beds available. And if you have that many people that are coming in sick, then you're going to have to increase the capacity of the hospitals, increase the number of ICU beds, increase the number of ventilators. And that's what I was thinking. That's what I did the show about. But you don't hear about that anymore. You don't hear about it at all. Whenever I'm sitting there online talking to people, they're talking about stopping the spread. They're talking about everyone locking down, no one talking to each other, everyone staying at home because we need to stop the virus from spreading. But in the same article on Vox, the, the, the name of the article is How Canceled Events and Self-Quarantines Save Lives in One Chart. In this Mark... Lipstitch at Harvard, who is a disease epidemiologist, he says it is plausible that you might see 60% of adults, that you would likely see 60% of adults, he actually says 20 to 60% of adults will be infected with COVID-19. 20 to 60%. And I've heard it as much, and I was looking for an article that, that I saw before, I've heard as much as 80% of people might get this disease because you're going to end up having, eventually you're going to have herd immunity. They're not sure when herd immunity happens, but it's almost certain right now that New York has herd immunity. Their death rate has gone down really low, and there's people that are having like local parties. There's a lot of stuff going on in New York City now. And they're not seeing a spike, and they are congested in New York City. You know that. That's why they got hit so hard originally. But most of the deaths all over the country were in nursing homes and older people and so forth. But 60% of people, according to this article, are likely to get the disease, likely to get the virus. But nobody was talking about, or nobody, yeah, nobody was talking about that then. That we're going to stop the disease completely. And I remember reading an article. Or maybe I heard it on the news or somewhere. And they said it's very hard to stop a respiratory illness. All you can do is slow it down. Because of the capacity issue. You want to slow it down. But that's not what we're talking about today. That's not what we're talking about today. I mean there is a very simple fix to COVID-19. And the politicians won't talk about it. Because it's not politically advantageous to them it's not going to get them reelected. but it's a pretty simple i i sorry i'm not the guy that has all the answers so i'm not going to say it's a simple fix but it's a rational idea and it's this you know where the people are dying like we've been doing this for seven months now where we're watching 
daily what's going on with COVID, right? There's a lot of experts out there right now that are like armchair experts. I consider myself an armchair expert. I'm not an epidemiologist by any means, but I read and read and read and read on this topic. This is a dangerous disease if you're over 55, especially if you're over 75. It's a dangerous disease. If you look at the numbers from the CDC's website, it kills a lot of old people. Like 95% of the deaths are people over 55. But you know what? For people that are under 24 years old, it's like 0.001% of all the deaths are people under 24. So it does not kill people under 24. It's like nearly 0%. 300, less than 300 people have died from COVID-19 under 24. If you look at the age group from 24 or 25 up to 45, I think is the next tier. It's a lot less percentage as well. It's like two or 3% of the deaths have been in that, in that age group. And then over 45, that's the rest. 98% of the people that are over 45 have died in the, in like 90 something percent of the people over 45 that died were over 65 or over 75. So we know who's dying from this disease. It's a, it's not like we're sitting there just wondering or shooting in the dark and anyone could die. Anyone could just drop dead at any time from this disease. They can't, it's not happening, but we're spreading the resources for this, this disease across 350 million people in America evenly, evenly. It's an, it's insanity that you would do that. If you had a hundred people that had a disease, if you had a hundred people that had a disease and you knew that like half of them were going to be completely fine, not even, not, not even have any problems whatsoever. But you could look at them and all the people in the orange shirts. You knew that they were going to have trouble. Wouldn't you focus all of your resource on those people? Wouldn't you put all of the resources into the people that are over 65 then? If you're going to spend the resources, you have limited resources with this disease. So why wouldn't you do that? Why are you going to spend the resources evenly across the board for everybody? Why are they sitting there making college students take, t- take coronavirus tests on a weekly or bi-weekly ba- basis or something like that? That doesn't make sense. I have a friend that does a show called The Whitfield Report, and he actually shouted out to me on his show the other day. So I'm going to do a shout out to him. It's Sam at The Whitfield Report. And uh, he does a show a couple days a week. Great show. And uh, I've 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 known him or known about him for about a year now or so, and we just kind of communicate back and forth every so often and stuff and he'll shut up my show every so often i've shut and if you listen to the show you'll see you know that i shouted him out before as well um 
But he was saying that he's going back to college in two weeks. And when he goes back to college, every two weeks he has to have a coronavirus test taken. That is wasted resources, guys. You have limited resources. You have limited testing capacity. You have limited ability to test people. You have limited doctors. You have limited nurses. The resources are going to the wrong place. College students, 24 and under. They don't die from this. There's like a point zero zero. I think it was 0.0002% chance of them dying or something like that. It's insanely low. Statistically, almost zero. I got into an argument about with a guy about this that I was saying is statistically zero. And he's like, oh, there's no such thing as statistically zero if there's even one person that died. I was like, yeah, but that's near, I mean, if, if and this is a sports podcast or sports, um, sports Facebook page or something that I was, that I was talking to this guy. So I tried to talk in terms of sports and I was like, if you had a dude that had 15,000 passes thrown to him in college football, 15,000 passes thrown and he missed every single one of them except for one, you could probably get away with saying that that dude can't catch anything. Right? You can say that. That dude can't catch anything. Even though he could, no, nobody caught one. No, he can't catch anything, man. You could basically say that. Well, in the case of COVID-19 for people that are under 24, it's like one in 15,000 people of the five point something million people that have been diagnosed with COVID, one in 15,000 have died from COVID that were under 21. That's it. It's insanely low. Yet they're spending the resources there. It's so crazy. It's stupid. It's insanity. The fix. What is the fix? Put the resources where they're going to be used the best. Put the resources where the problem lies. And that is people that are over 65 and high-risk people that are under 65 And that's about it, guys. That's it. As a libertarian, we tend to shy away from the federal government doing things and spending money. But they're going to spend money. So if you're going to put that money, the resources somewhere, do that. State level, same thing. Put the resources where they're going to be used. And the best place that they're going to be used is people that are over 55. And that's it. You have a limited number of nurses. You have a limited number of doctors. You have a limited amount of equipment. I mean, the first rule of economics is scarcity. All resources are scarce. So use them where they're going to be used the best. I mean, if we were spending all of that money on saving the people that are over 55, you'd probably have a lot less deaths in America. Originally, you could only get tested if you were high risk or over, like in your 50s or something like that. But then they, then they passed this law, and what happened is everyone's chasing that, those billions upon billions of dollars that are going towards testing. That's what they're doing. So you have Walgreens, CVS, every hospital, every single, you know, emergency room, every single walk-in clinic, every place that they could find it, they are setting up COVID testing 
to try to get as many people in and out of there as they possibly can so they can get the $35 to $50 per person that walks through the door and make some money off of it. When you have billions of dollars being spent, you're going to have billions of people chasing those billions of dollars. That's just the way, that's just human nature. That's business. But you don't need to know if every single kid in a school has COVID-19 or not. I mean, I guess in general, you need to be safe in some ways. But there are safety precautions you could take for the kids. Like, I'm not saying just let all the kids just run around and then they go back to their grandma at home and get her sick. But we need to realize that if we just put all the focus in on protecting grandma, then grandma wouldn't be there when that kid got home type thing. You know what I'm saying? That's what it comes down to. Okay, so next topic, I will get off of that subject there. I, Ray Eaton, your host, had my first time what somebody said to me that they hope that I die. That's right. They hope, not they hope that I die, sorry. They hope that I catch disease and that I kill my mother or somebody that I love. That's what they told me because I was arguing that I think that they should send the kids back to playing college football this season. I mean, it's the stupidest thing, right? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you what I wrote. He says to me, like I was just saying that I think that they should play football because, you know, there's not that much percentage chance that they're going to die. I spit out the fact that there's about three, less than 300 people under 24 that have died from COVID-19. So I wrote, and he says, I'm just selfish or whatever. And I said, I'm not, I'm rational. I'm not selfish. A rational person realizes that COVID-19 kills people 55 and older at a much higher rate than younger and nearly 0.0001% of people under 24, which means they have practically no chance of death. So the rational person would not politicize stopping the spread of a disease, but would focus all resources where they'll do the most good, which is treating and helping people over 55 and high-risk people, and helping them to stay away from risky places and letting others go about their life. These student-athletes can easily stay away from their parents, grandparents, and high-risk individuals. The coaches can take precautions. Everyone can be careful, but the students are not at risk. I, or like I said, 214 deaths of people 14 to 24, less than 300 deaths if you take anyone under 24. That is out of 5 million confirmed cases. And then I quote, and I wrote in parentheses, not total cases because there were likely way more unconfirmed cases than we found. So I wrote that. And this person writes back, no, you are a piece of trash who is misinformed and spreading that false information on the internet like an irresponsible douchebag and then when and i've noticed this whenever anyone's getting aggressive towards me they always have two messages so this is what he followed up with right because they always get so angry then they forget to write something else and they write something else so they can say you're not a doctor you're an idiot who reads three paragraphs on the internet and thinks he knows everything i hope you catch the disease and spread it to someone you love and kill them then you'll have to live with it Of course, you'll rationalize it away somehow because you have that big piece of shit that I still hope, or you're a big piece of shit, but I still hope it happens to you. I'm just like, what? 
Are you kidding me? Did he just say that to me? So here's what I had to write back. (laughs) I was so like taken aback by that because I've never, I thought that that was just something that happens to other people, you know, but it happened to me. He told me that he hopes that I catch it and then I die. Then I'm a big piece of shit and a douchebag. Excuse my language. So then I said, thanks for the intelligent conversation, sir. I love when a conversation ends and someone tell me, telling me they hope my family dies. That is the height of an intellectual conversation. I'm glad you have thought this through so well. I'm not sure how the fact that 300 people under 24 have died is, as stated on the CDC website, is misinformation. And that 95% of deaths have been people over 55 is irresponsible to say. Facts are misinformation and irresponsible, I suppose, if we are in an Orwell novel. But thank you for going right to where the people with the best character go in the argument and calling me an idiot and a douchebag. That is exactly the best way to show your character. So that's how I ended it. It didn't go any further than that. But I got to be called a douchebag, a piece of shit and an idiot, and that I, that I hopefully my mother dies or something like that, which is insane. I would never wish ill upon anybody that disagrees with me about something, especially as petty as kids going, or college students going back to play football. Come on. Come on. But you know what? That's, that's just the way that people are. They just, they, they, uh, I I can't expect intellectual conversation from Every single person. I can't expect somebody to be rational when I'm talking to them on Facebook or whatever, you know? But that's that. So, hey, last piece of news of the day. Of the day. You guys know this. Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. So that's pronounced like comma, like the, the little, uh, not a period, but a comma, right? Kamala Harris is going to be Joe Biden's VP pick. And I was thinking about this because I didn't really like her when she was running, right? I mean, she's not a very a very nice person. She's not likable whatsoever. She comes off snarky. She comes off rude. She comes off as somebody who is just trying to get ahead, that has ambitions. That's the only thing I take from that lady is that when I listen to her talk. And she would say anything in order to get the nomination. She would say anything she can. I mean, she didn't even come out with any real political views, except for the normal liber- liberal kind of stuff. She didn't come out with any hard stances on anything during her election campaign. She dropped out right before Iowa. But you know what? She was a female and she was black. And... um I think that that is what they were trying to get on the onto the Democratic ticket. And she was, of all of the ladies that they were looking at, she was clearly the most qualified. But I don't know that they were looking for the most qualified person, per se. The most qualified person may have been her, but there's always going to be the asterisks next to her because he said it from the beginning. I'm going to choose a woman. And it's most likely going to be a black woman. So you're going to judge somebody based upon their color and their s- sexuality in order to determine who's going to be what? I mean, to me, that's the height of racism in the first place, that you would do that. 
I mean, I would if I was an African American person, I would not want to be sitting there thinking to myself, "Yeah, the only reason I got this job is because I'm black." Because they were felt bad for my race. Like that doesn't make sense to me. That's stupid to me. I think mean, that's most people feel that way as well. It's degrading. I would be that's not something that I would hope for. But anyway, so let's talk about Kamala Harris for a minute though. Because I think she's going to be good for the ticket. I do. I mean, no one... I mean, people generally like Joe Biden, but he's not likable. But he has Barack Obama behind him, you know? He smiles. He's a politician. So people generally, like, you know, laugh and all that stuff around the guy. He has a hard time putting together sentences, but that's always been the case. I don't know if he's really getting senile or anything like that. But if you look at Kamala Harris, on the other hand, she's a centrist in some ways, but a lot of people say that she's far left. I didn't really see that when I was, you know, looking at her before. I didn't see her as like a far left. She was kind of taking the middle road. She was trying to be like a Joe Biden. She was trying to be the alternative to Bernie Sanders. She was trying to be the alternative to Elizabeth Warren in the campaign. So she's a centrist, a little bit to the left of Joe Biden, I'm sure, on her views. I mean, she's she wants to have the Green New Deal and all that. But you know what she does bring to the ticket? Law and order. And you think to yourself, law and order? Democrats don't want that. Well, they're not running to get Democratic votes right now. Democrats are going to vote for them anyway. So think about that. Democrats are going to vote for them anyway. So whose vote are they trying to get, guys? They're trying to get the independent vote. And she represents law and order. She's the person who locked up criminals in California. That's a strength of hers right now. It wasn't a strength during the Democratic primary. It wasn't a strength. It's not a strength a month ago. But it's a strength now. Because Donald Trump is trying to be the law and order president, right? He's going to bring law and order. He's going to arrest those people. He's going to put an end to the protests and the violence. And all of the people that are sitting there just looting and rioting. Donald Trump is going to send in the National Guard. I mean, Kamala Harris has a record of putting people away. That's good for Joe Biden right now. Because those independent people, they're going to look at that ticket and they're going to say, hmm, well, we want stability, we want law and order, but we want things to be kind of normal again, right? So we're going to vote for Biden-Harris. Boom. That's it. It doesn't matter what the Democrats think. They're going to vote for Joe Biden anyway. He could have chose George W. Bush. If he wanted to. The Democrats would have voted for him. He could have chose the most far-right Democrat he could find. He could have chose anybody as long as they fit the bill of a female. Because he already said he was going to choose a female anyway. The Democrats are going to vote for Joe Biden. If it meant getting the African-American vote, I don't know that that was the reason why he would have chose Kamala Harris either 
And the reason why is because Joe Biden beat her or beat out everybody in South Carolina. He has the African-American vote. African-Americans, I don't know exactly what the number is, but it's somewhere around 92% of African-Americans vote for Democrats anyway. So if you know that you're going to get 92% of the vote of the Democrats or of the African-American community, then you don't have to worry about it. I mean, African-Americans make up 16% of the electorate. And let's say, on average, 60% of them will vote. So you're going to get 90% of that. I mean, that's all of them are going to get their vote for you. Donald Trump's not going to get the African-American vote. He's not going to have a majority. But he might pick off 2, 3, 4, 5% of the African-American vote, bring it down to 85%. I don't know. I'm not sure. But... Those people are not going to come back to Joe Biden that would have voted for Donald Trump anyway just because they have Kamala Harris on the ticket. So that's not anywhere near the reason why he chose Kamala Harris, okay? I think it was because of the law and order thing, man. I really do. She's the law and order person. She's not far left. She's not going to freak out the independents. You're trying to get the independent vote. That's what the fight is over. Republicans, 96% love Donald Trump. Might be a little less than that now. But if the economy keeps on going good, if the herd immunity continues, which I think that, you know, North, or I think that New York, the Northeast, the South now is starting to get it. You're starting to see a lowering of the number of, the total number of uh, deaths and cases in South Carolina, Mississippi, Georgia. I think Florida hasn't quite peaked out yet, but it's a much larger state, 25, 30, 30 million people or something like that there. So maybe it hasn't quite peaked out yet, but that'll start to peak out pretty soon as well. It's going into the Midwest now, but, you know, I, I wonder how they say it might be as few as 15 to 20% of people, if they get it, will get the herd immunity. And then there's a T-cell thing. I haven't looked too much into that, but they're saying that that can cause people to have immunity as well. So we're starting to get that within the communities as well. So who knows? Things might be looking good in November for Donald Trump. But then what Joe Biden has to do is get that middle ground vote. So he went for her because of that. That's that's the only reason why he went with Kamala Harris. And he didn't go with somebody a little bit crazier, uh, more left-leaning. Or he did, if, I mean, if he needed to bring the Bernie Sanders people on board, he would have went with somebody that's a little closer to the left, right? But I don't think they got to worry about it. He didn't have to worry about that. So anyway, guys, I appreciate you joining me. Another look at the 2020 election. Another look at the, you know, the 2020 chaos that we're living in now. So I appreciate you joining me. If you want to check out the Whitfield Report, go ahead and do that. It's a great show. I'll actually try to figure out how to put a link onto it, onto my show notes, so you can check him out as well. That's Sam over at the Whitfield Report. You'll love his show. And then um, go ahead and check me out, iontheempire.com, if you want to follow any news stories that I post. You can also go to I on the Empire, just type in at I on the Empire with Facebook and on Twitter. And you better find my Facebook page. And then you can also check out the Twitter page as well. Email me, Ray at I on the Empire.com if you want to just communicate. And then uh, oh, you could also message me through the Facebook app I've, or the Facebook page. I've also noticed you can do that as well. But then the best thing you do every single Monday and Thursday is to come on back so you can have clear vision for 2020.